0: Tonight, Uh, but today we're going to be in John chapter 21, but before we get into it, I want to ask you, have any of you, um, have any of you ever had to face someone after a really awkward encounter, right? Maybe you hit send on an email that you meant to send to someone else, but you sent to the wrong person, complaining about them, or you know, I don't know, maybe you've done that. Um, or, or maybe you have, uh, you weren't expecting to see someone out in, in public and, and you ran into them and and there was some, you know, tension there that had not been cleared up yet. I remember uh, when when Brooke and I, we moved from it, we worked at a church in Atlanta, Georgia and we moved to Orlando and uh, we had a house up there that we were renting and um, we were getting ready to sell the house. And so we had been in Orlando for about a year, but I went back up to Atlanta to, To clean up the house and and get it ready to sell. And I had to go to Lowe's to get some stuff for the house. And uh, I ran into somebody from my old church, which is fine because I love them, but I didn't tell anybody I was coming in town. You know, I expected you just like slip in and slip out. And I could tell when they saw me, they were like, What are you doing here? And I looked at them like, What are you doing here? And it was, I, I'm sorry, and I felt like I had to explain myself. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Those kind of awkward encounters. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you've had to have a conversation with somebody after, after you've hurt them or after they hurt you and you weren't looking forward to it, but you got to that moment where you finally got to clear the air. And we're going to talk about an encounter kind of like that this morning between the Apostle Peter and Jesus Christ out of John 21. So, um, why don't you stand up with me and we're going to read a few verses together out of John 21. And then we'll get into the message this morning. John 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 for right now. Here's what it says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathanael from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, said Simon Peter, said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, he called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish." When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Some of the fish, uh, bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Let me pray. Oh Lord, we love you because you loved us first. It's what John tells us in 1 John we know what love is because you revealed your love to us. And then you've called us to love one another the way that you've loved us and and you have demonstrated your love in such an incredible way. Lord, your love is an everlasting love, Scripture says, a love that forgives and redeems and restores. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that we would experience that restoring love, that love that appeared to Peter and the other disciples on the shore of the sea that day, that love that called them back to yourself and reminded them who they were and what you had called them to. And Lord, for those of us this morning who find our faith growing dim, would you remind us of your love and salvation this morning? For those who don't know you as Savior, would you draw them to you today by the power of your Spirit we love you. We thank you. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks you can have a seat. So we see Peter and six other disciples. There's seven total disciples out on the boat that day, and they're fishing. This passage says the Sea of Tiberias, but that's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you remember the name Sea of Galilee. Tiberias was the Roman name for the Sea of Galilee. Galilee was the Jewish Name for the Sea of Galilee, but it's the same place. It's the place where Peter and his brother Andrew and James and his brother John had grown up fishing. It was the family business for these guys. It was from the shores of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus called these disciples to follow him and he said, Hey, leave your nets, leave your boats, and follow me. But here they find themselves once again fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Now we don't know exactly why it is that these guys were back fishing. Maybe they were just bored, right? Jesus had already resurrected. John chapter 20 tells us that Jesus appeared to them in the upper room twice once to all the disciples except for Thomas, and one other time Thomas was there. And Jesus said, Thomas, you can touch the nail scars on my hands. It's really me. And then they went to Galilee because they were told Jesus would meet them there. And I don't know, maybe they waited a couple days and, and Peter said, Hey, guys, I'm going fishing. And they said, well, us too. I don't know. Maybe they were just bored. Maybe they were discouraged. You know, Peter had blown it pretty good when he denied Jesus three times in the courtyard of the temple. Maybe they were just hungry and they wanted some fish. We don't know why they were back out on the fishing boat. But what we know is they were out fishing. And it wasn't just a casual fishing trip because it says they fished all night and they didn't catch anything. So here we are, the disciples are back fishing. And we see in these disciples that they had lost a sense of expectancy. They had lost a sense of expectancy. They weren't looking for Jesus that day when they were in the boat because Jesus shows up, right? And he, he calls to them and they didn't know it was Jesus, the passage tells us. These are guys who had walked with Jesus. It tells us their names. You have Peter. You have Thomas. He's the guy that touched Jesus' nail-scarred hands. He said, I don't believe unless I see the hands. And Jesus showed up and said, here they are. And he fell down and said, I believe. We have Nathaniel. He was one of Jesus' earliest disciples. When Jesus called Nathaniel, he said to him, hey, I saw you praying under the fig tree. And Nathaniel said, you're the Messiah. He said, you're saying that just because I told you. A secret, but, but you're going to see greater things than that. And these disciples had said, seen incredible things. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000. They had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They had seen some stuff. You got Peter, and you've got Thomas, and you've got Nathaniel. Then it says, the sons of Zebedee, that is James and John. They were with Jesus. They were part of the inner circle. They were there on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of God was revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. They were with Jesus in the inner inner sanctum of the garden. And then it says two others of his disciples. We don't know their names, and we don't know if they were part of the 12 or if they were part of the 120 that would gather in the upper room before the day of Pentecost, but it was two others of Jesus' disciples, these unnamed guys who were out on the boat fishing with Peter and the others. These guys had seen some incredible things over the course of their life, and now here they are fishing on the boat, and they are not looking for Jesus. They are not expecting Jesus to show up that day, but he does and maybe you can relate to these disciples maybe there was a time in your life where your faith burned bright where you lived with a sense of expectation that god was going to move you know ephesians chapter 3 says god can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think or imagine and maybe you used to pray prayers like that god move do the impossible but you stop praying those kind of prayers and you stopped having a sense of expectancy that God would actually move in your life. You're here. You kind of keep going through the motions, but as far as your faith goes, it's grown pretty dim. You're not expecting to see Jesus move in your life. You can relate to these disciples who said, I'm going fishing. Whatever fishing is in your life, those things that you distract yourself with, those things that you focus on so you don't have to focus on your relationship with Jesus. The question this morning is, have you lost the sense of expectancy? Have you lost a sense of expectancy in your faith? Have you lost that sense of wonder at Jesus' salvation in your life? Is his grace still amazing to you Can you sing the song, rain came, wind blew, but I'm standing strong in you. Is he still your firm foundation? I mean, if you put your faith in him, he is your firm foundation. That's true, but are you experiencing the reality of that statement? Maybe you have lost your sense of expectancy. Maybe you have lost your sense of wonder. Maybe for good reason. Maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you prayed a bold prayer that God didn't answer the way you wanted him to answer it. Maybe you prayed for someone's healing and they didn't get healed. Maybe you prayed that God would take away some hurt in your life and God didn't take it away. Maybe you've been disappointed by people. Maybe the people you looked up to have broken trust with you. They turned out not to live by the things that they told you were true. Maybe you've witnessed the hurt of others and through that you have lost the sense of wonder and expectancy that God could really move. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus is preaching to his disciples and he says, hey guys, in this world, you're gonna have trouble. It's coming. Like expect that. But don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. But maybe, maybe you've lost your sense of expectancy because of disappointment. Maybe it's your intellect, right? Maybe there was a time in your life where you had a faith in God and and then you grew up and you got smart and you took a class and somebody made you question everything you thought you knew. And now you say, eh, I don't know. I don't, I don't really believe all that stuff anymore. You know, I was, just a, I was just a kid. I was so naive. I don't know, maybe you're at that place in your life and and the book just doesn't make sense to you anymore. You're dismissive. Maybe you've grown a little cynical. I love what Jesus says. There's one day when Jesus is, is out teaching, and all these little kids come up to Jesus, and the parents bring up the kids so that Jesus could bless them, and the disciples say, come on, get away, get away, get away, leave, leave the master alone, leave the rabbi, the teacher alone, and Jesus says, no, no, let the kids come to me, because the kingdom of heaven is for them. He says, unless you have faith like these little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, and maybe you've lost the simplicity of your faith, and and you have more questions than answers, and you won't. You're not trusting God with a sense of expectancy anymore. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. He confounds the wise. Maybe it's your ambition that's caused you to lose a sense of expectancy. Maybe you've just gotten so focused on building the life that you think you want or deserve You've become driven by career ambitions or financial goals or by relationship goals. I'm reminded what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. He said, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I don't know, maybe you're like these disciples and you've lost a sense of expectancy. Maybe because of disappointment. Maybe because you outgrew it. You became wise. (laughs) Maybe because you've been focused on the goals and ambition of this life. Reminds me of... Revelation chapter 2, the book of Revelation was written by John, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John. And in Revelation chapter 2, he writes a letter to a church called Ephesus. Jesus is speaking and he says to Ephesus, look, you're doing a lot of good stuff, but I have this one thing against you. You have lost your first love. And maybe that's true of you. You're you're still doing good stuff. You're living a pretty good life, but you've lost that sense of wonder and expectancy, that, that, that love that you once had for God, for Jesus, that wonder at his salvation. Here's the good news. Even though the disciples were not expecting Jesus to show up on the shore that day, he came to where they were to restore them. And to empower them. And this morning, if you find yourself like those disciples, your faith is diminished. Maybe you're not looking for Jesus to show up and do something in your life. But he does. He showed up on the shore that day and he called out to the disciples. And and maybe today he's calling out to you. And so John chapter 21 verse 4 tells us this. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus came to meet the disciples right where they were, and he'll meet you right where you are too. Some of my sweetest times with the Lord are when I'm driving in the car by myself because I'm listening to worship music or listening to, I I listen to preaching, I, I just, you know, all the time. On my phone on podcast. And, um, but man, there's times when I just got to pull the car over because I'm, I'm crying and blubbering. And I was driving down the turnpike south towards Miami uh, and I was singing so loud that I almost blacked out like, I, you know, like just loud. And it, I guess I lost oxygen. I was like, whoa, I'm driving too fast to be doing that. So I had to tone it down a little bit. But maybe you've had those kind of encounters with the Lord in, in random places. Lisa Cooper is sitting right back here. And Lisa, I love her testimony because she worked at a bank. And uh, she had heard the message of the gospel. And one day she was in the vault at the bank. And God called her and that's, that's the day she gave her life to Jesus. And she kneeled down in the vault of the bank and, uh, and prayed and gave her life to Jesus. Maybe you've had those just random encounters at random places where the Lord met you there. You don't have to be in, in a service. You don't have to be in a gathering of God's people. He comes to where we are and He meets us. And wherever you find yourself in life, wherever the road of faith has taken you, even if you find yourself in a place where your faith has diminished, Jesus has not given up on you and He's still. Calling out to you. He wants to meet you right where you are. So, verse 5 tells us, Jesus calls to them. He says, friends, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered him. Cast your net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large numbers of fish. Jesus met them on the shore. He called out to them. But we also see this, when Jesus met them, he called them to trust him again, and he calls us today to trust him as well. Jesus met them on the shore, he said, hey, do you guys have any fish? The the word friends is the word the translators used here. He really says uh, something more like, hey, fellas, hey, boys. The the word that's used there is the, it it means children or little boys, but, but it's not like it's kind of like, "What's up, boys?" You know how we use that. He's, he's not calling them, "Hey, little kids." It's something that that fishermen would say to each other, "Hey, boys, you got any fish?" Jesus called out to them, and they said, "No." And Jesus says, "Throw your nets on the other side." He calls the disciples to trust him. Now, it wasn't about the fish. It wasn't about the net. Jesus could have made fish jump in the boat if he wanted to. After all, one day they were on the sea and there was a storm and he said, peace be still and the wind stopped and the waves grew calm. One day, Peter needed some money to pay the temple tax and Jesus said, go fishing. And when you catch a fish, reach in its mouth and there'll be money in there. You can pay the temple tax with it. It wasn't about the fish. It wasn't about casting the net. Jesus could have put fish in their boat if it was about fish. It was about inviting the disciples to trust him again. And it pointed back to their early days of faith. Because in Luke chapter 5, it tells us that that Jesus is teaching on the shore, and Peter and Andrew and James and John, these fishermen, they they pull their boats up to shore, and Jesus says, hey, guys, is it cool if I get on your boat? There's a lot of people here. I need to kind of get out into the water a little bit. And they're like, sure, I guess. So he gets on their boat and they push out. And he goes, by the way, did y'all catch any fish last night? They said, no. He said, well, hey, put, put your nets down again. And Peter says, we were fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. But I guess we'll try again. Throws in the net, pulls up, says so many fish that it almost sinks the boat. And Peter's response is that he falls down on his knees and he says, oh, Lord, I am a sinful man. Get away from me. And Jesus says to him, fear not, Peter. I came for sinful men. I'm calling you to follow me today. So leave this net, follow me. We're going to fish for people from now on. And when Jesus calls out to the guys in the boat and says, throw your net on the other side, he's reminding them of the early days of their faith when they operated in simplicity. And when Jesus said, follow, they said, where are we going? And this morning, I just wanna ask you to remember, to remember where Jesus called you. Where were you? That day you said yes to Jesus. Was it in a church service? Was it at home? Was it at work? Was it with a friend? Where were you? I want you to remember those days when Jesus first called you. I I want you to remember those days when you just said yes to Jesus. When he said, hey, I want you to go here. I want you to talk to this person. And you said yes. What what did that look like? I want you to remember the, the wonder and the awe and the sense of expectancy of your faith in those early days. I want you to remember seasons in your life when Jesus moved I want you to remember those seasons of your life when you saw Jesus do the extraordinary because when Jesus told the disciples, throw your net on the other side, he was reminding them, hey guys, we've done this before. And I showed myself faithful then and I'll do it again, but I need you to trust me right now. And this morning, Jesus may be calling you, hey, trust me, I'm not done. Trust me, I still have a plan. Trust me, I can still move mountains, trust me. And maybe today, you just need to throw your net. It's not about your net, it's not about your effort, it's not about the fish, it's about trusting Jesus. Now it tells us that uh, when they start catching all these fish, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, we later find out it, it's John, he says to Peter, Peter, it's, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat. He, he had his shirt off, but he puts his shirt back on to jump into the water and swim to shore. John tells us we were only like 100 yards from the shore, so the rest of us just rowed in the boat. And we carried the fish. They probably beat Peter to the shore because like, it was like, Three rows, and they were there, and Peter's like floundering around in his soaking wet clothes. But anyway, that's Peter. John, like, just let him do it, guys. <laughs> they get to the shore, and then something happens. Peter has to have this awkward encounter with Jesus. Let me read verses 9 through 11 real quick. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up. He hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Peter's about to have to face his past. There's a couple unique things about this story. It tells us that Jesus was there with a charcoal fire. The only other time in Scripture that a charcoal fire is specifically mentioned is in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus. Fire is all throughout the Bible. We got burning bushes. We got, we got all kinds of fires. We got a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. But a charcoal fire, that only happens two times. One of them is in the courtyard where Peter was warming his hands and denied Jesus. And now he comes up on shore and here's Jesus with his charcoal fire. And Peter must have thought, I remember that smell. It says he's got some bread and some fish there. Remember, it wasn't about the fish. Jesus already had fish. (laughs) And he's got bread. And in just a minute, we're gonna see Jesus serve the bread to these guys, and I'm sure Peter remembered that night in the upper room when Jesus served him bread and said, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and Peter said, never, never, never. I also think, you know, Peter's bravado, he jumps out of the boat before anybody else, swims to the shore, and then Jesus says, bring me the fish, and, and it says that Peter goes by himself and he grabs the net with 153 fish, and I got it, Jesus, don't worry about it, right? Right? I mean, I'm Peter. I think of seasons in my life when I don't want to face hard things and I do other things to distract me. So, believe it or not, Brooke and I have had times in our marriage where I have been a jerk. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. And sometimes instead of wanting to apologize and deal with the situation, I just try to be really nice and pretend like it never happened. Hey, uh, I got you some flowers. Hey, could I, could I, let me cook dinner tonight. Hey, I'll do the dishes tonight. But what I didn't do is say, hey, babe, I'm really sorry. I was a jerk. Right? And and maybe you, maybe you've done that in your life. You just try to work harder to distract from the fact that you have blown it. And I think that's what Peter was doing here as he faces Jesus with this awkward encounter and he's got to deal with the fact that he denied Jesus three times on the night that he was crucified. Peter tries to show off. He's going to be the first guy to the shore, he's going to haul the fish all by himself. Psalm 51 is a psalm written by King David. King David, Scripture tells us, was a man after God's own heart, but David blew it a lot of times in his life. Maybe one of his biggest mistakes was when he had an affair with this woman named Bathsheba. And she got pregnant, and David didn't want to deal with it, so he tried to get her husband to come home and think that it was his baby, but the husband said, I can't leave my men on the battlefield to come be with my wife. So David told the commanders at the battlefield, put him in the hottest part of the battle and make sure he gets killed today. And then David married Bathsheba and pretended like everything was okay. I'm saving this woman who's a widow now. And one day a prophet shows up to David. His name was Nathan and Nathan says, hey, David, I want to tell you a story. There was this guy, and he had a sheep. And there was this other guy, and he had like 100 sheep. And the guy with 100 sheep killed that guy and took his one little sheep. What should we do about that? And David said, we ought to kill that guy. Who is he? And Nathan said, you. <laughs> You're the man. And David's heart was broken, and he repented, and he was grieved, and he turned from his sin, and he writes Psalm 51. And it's a psalm of David pouring out his heart to God and saying, God, I, I'm, I've blown it. I've blown it. But God, would you restore me? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? And here's what he says in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. He says, God, you do not want sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. It's kind of what Corey talked about today. God owns it all anyway. God was not impressed with Peter carrying the 153 large fish. He already had fish. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. David knew, I can't fake my way out of this. I can't I I can't work my way out of this. I can't give sacrifices to get out of this. I have to finally come to God and admit and confess and be broken and repent and turn. And that's what Jesus was calling Peter to. Is there a spiritual reality in your life that you don't want to face? Is there hurt or brokenness that you don't want to face? Is there disappointment with God that you don't want to face? So you just keep faking it till you make it. But you won't deal with the sin, the hurt, the regret. Back to John 21, verse 12. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus took the bread and he gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I'm guessing this was a pretty awkward breakfast. says <laughs> so none of the disciples asked him who he was. I, I kind of take that to mean they just kind of sat there quietly as Jesus serves them the bread and the fish. This bread, again, is a symbolic reminder of that night in the upper room When Peter denied Jesus three times, but it tells us all the disciples ran. Verse 15 tells us when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We don't know what these is. Maybe it's fish. Maybe Jesus is holding the fish when he asked Peter that. Maybe he's pointing at the other disciples. Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Verse 16, a second time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Then Jesus asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Now what is Jesus doing here? Is he being mean? (laughs) Is he being cruel? Is he like, you know, poking a wound to make Peter squirm? Because I think a lot of us have that idea that Jesus is like, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. And he's like, oh, really? It's not what you said in the courtyard that night. That's not what Jesus is doing here. That's not what he's doing here. No, that's what I would do. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus causes Peter to have grief, says that he's grieved that Jesus asked him three times. But it goes back to Psalm 51. It's not punitive. It's not about getting a pound of flesh from Peter. It's about helping Peter to get to that spot of brokenness because that's the only time we can heal. Like when a doctor has to set a broken bone, it hurts. No, 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 don't don't mess with this arm. That one's broken. You can touch this arm all you want, but don't touch this arm because my arm is broken. That's crazy. He's got to set the bone. And if he doesn't set it, then it's not going to heal right. And as Jesus asked Peter these direct confronting questions, it's not about rubbing Peter's face in it. It's not about making him feel shame. It's about helping him to deal with the reality of what's going on in his life. And church family, we have to deal with the reality of what's going on in our life. Whatever it is that's hindering our following Jesus, whatever it is that might have caused our faith to diminish, we've got to deal with those things. It's what Jesus is trying to help Peter to do. It's not about hurting Peter. It's about allowing Peter to heal Peter finally gets to that point of brokenness. Jesus says, I know you love me, Peter. Now feed my sheep. Then in verse 18, it tells us, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God and after saying this he said follow me now the end of this restoration of Peter which hurt by the way they had to deal with some stuff but they dealt with it and now Jesus said okay Peter your life is going to bring me glory it's not going to be easy Tells us Jesus tells him by what kind of death he would glorify Jesus, but Peter gave his life for Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. Follow me is an invitation. It's not a command. I mean, Jesus is God. He can command us to follow him, but when he calls us to follow him, it's not just follow me, walk in my dust. It's inviting us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. It's inviting us into the family. It's inviting us onto the team. It's inviting us to live lives that make a difference for the glory of God and he is inviting Peter. He says, Peter, you didn't do anything that would keep me from using you. You didn't mess up too much that I don't want you anymore. Peter, let's deal with it, and now let's move on. Follow me. Follow me. Now, it tells us that Peter turned around in verse 20 and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, that's John, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said Jesus, to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. It's not about your neighbor. It's not about your friend. It's not about your husband or wife. Jesus says, follow me. I'm talking to you. Follow me. I'm talking to you. Follow me. Jesus deals with our hurt and our sin. He doesn't just sweep things under the rug. He he could have just swept it under the rug. Okay, Peter, come on. Get back in the saddle. But Peter would have always had a limp. He would have always dealt with shame and regret. He would have always thought, I I wonder if Jesus really accepts me because I blew it, man. I blew it bad. But Jesus didn't just sweep it under the rug. He dealt with it. Now, I'm a sweep it under the rug kind of guy. (laughs) I don't love confrontation. But the truth is, we all know that if we just sweep stuff under the rug, it's never gone, it's still there. Jesus doesn't want that for you. And maybe you have found yourself in life in faith, at a place where you have lost your sense of expectancy, where you have lost your sense of wonder, where you no longer believe that God wants to move in your life, maybe in other people's life, but not yours. Well, this morning, he invites you to put all the cards on the table and deal with it and then move on. He invites you to throw your net on the other side. To step out in faith once again. To open yourself up to him once again. To come in brokenness and humility to him once again. Not because he wants you broken and humble, but because that is the place of restoration. Now, let me tell you why Jesus can do that. Verse 1 of John chapter 21 says this after this, after this. John 21, verse 1 starts with these words after this. Everybody say, after this. After. After what, you may ask? After Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus can restore us, Jesus can deal with our hurt and our sin because he dealt with it on the cross. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He got victory over it so that we can have victory over it. When he died on the cross, sin died with him. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death in victory. And he doesn't just sweep our sin and mistakes and hurt and regret under the rug. He dealt with it on the cross so that he can invite us in to be saved, to be restored, to be whole. And so this morning, maybe you're at a place in your faith where your faith has diminished. You're going through the motions, but there's no spiritual power in your life. There's no sense of expectancy. Today, I invite you to throw your net on the other side. That's a physical act. And this morning, I, I would like to ask you if you're in that place to take a physical act of stepping out of your seat and coming down to pray this morning. Just a minute, we'll stand and give you a chance to respond. Maybe there's someone in here who has never come to a place of faith in your life. It's not about restoration for you, it's about salvation. Jesus invites you to follow him. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it's salvation. I just told you Jesus dealt with our sin and our past on the cross. So scripture says if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so maybe this morning you need to be saved. You need to respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. It's not just praying a prayer. We express our faith through prayer, but it's about faith and then living a life of faith, following Jesus. So why don't you stand up with me? and I I asked the guys if we could just sing the little chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. And as we sing, I invite you to respond. Maybe you are in a place where you just need restoration. You need Jesus to remind you that he is still good and he is still moving. Maybe you need to know Jesus as Savior this morning, but I would invite you, hey, look, Today's the day. Deal with it. Maybe there's some hurt. You just need to come and tell it to God. Lord, I've been, I've been mad at you because you didn't answer my prayer. Lord, I've been mad at this person and living in bitterness, but I need to forgive them and lay it down today. Lord, I've been pursuing my life and my career and, and more than you. Lord, I, I, I stopped believing And today, I just bring it before you and let him deal with you there. Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you are a restoring, forgiving God. We are not too far gone. You meet us right where we're at. But Lord, you ask us to step out in faith and deal with the sin and the hurt. Not to sweep it under the rug, but to recognize you have dealt with it once and for all on the cross, and so we can leave it with you today. So Lord, as we sing, I pray that you would help people to respond in faith, to cast their net on the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. As God is moving you, I ask you to respond.